guys. Welcome back to episode 44 of the Strength Ratio Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Zachary Greenwald, joined, as always, by Kyle Kochenko. Uh, our guest is in person with us today. He, like us, is from Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, our guest is a doctor of physical therapy, and he'll be joining us today to talk about pathoanatomical findings uh, on MRI, primarily, in asymptomatic populations, as well as client expectations. And this all falls under pain sciences and rehabilitation, more broadly speaking. Now, going back to the first thing I mentioned, what does pathoanatomical findings on MRI in asymptomatic uh, populations mean in, in more lay terms? And that's to say that there are findings uh, that we have seen on an MRI that might be uh, termed uh, as uh, pathological, representing some type of degeneration or poor form. Uh, that irregularities. When, or, that, or, yeah, yeah, or there might be uh, irregularities. And we'll list countless examples uh, in case you yourself have been uh, diagnosed with such disease or, or syndrome or what have you, but that there's a finding on an MRI, but that there's no pain associated with this. So more often than not, people go to get MRIs when they have pain. They'll run MRIs uh, with in these, in these studies, not just with the people who have pain, but with control groups who are asymptomatic, meaning without pain. And then using that data, we can draw uh, correlations between these findings and now their implications uh, for what they actually mean if there actually is uh, a large percentage of people who have the same findings with no pain. So uh, without further ado, I uh, just wanted to define our terms there briefly. Uh, very we, we, briefly. Very briefly, though it dragged on, we bring on uh, John Gillum. Uh, John, thanks so much for coming on. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself uh, to our audience, uh, who you are and, and what you do in Asheville. Yeah, so um, my name is John Gillum. I'm a physical therapist here in Asheville. I practice at a, it's a private practice, sports medicine clinic, where I work with patients every day. Uh, I'm not a radiologist, so we're going to talk a lot about uh, diagnostic imaging, but I'm not a radiologist. Uh, just, you know, we were talking the first time that we got together and started talking about you know, how interesting diagnostic imaging is as it relates to pain and uh, the other things we were talking about. And so I thought it would be good to uh, kind of dive into that further. And so I think about, you did a great job describing it. I think about it in lay terms as people who get a picture that looks bad, but their function is great or they're, you know, they don't have symptoms. Okay. So they're, it, it seems that, like... That's much more eloquent than what I, <laughs> yeah. than what I said. Um, we always say we need to get better at our analogies as well. That's hard. Yeah. It is hard. You know who's the best is either Steve Hall or Mike Isertel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. crush it. Very fast. <laughs> um, okay, so if, if you know, this first topic is that there is a picture that looks bad, mm-hmm. but it might not actually be bad, and this is kind of what we're going to be talking about uh, based on these findings, what, what are... Uh, well, I should say this. What exactly is the research saying at first? And secondly, what are the implications of these findings, at, at least for uh, uh, clinicians and coaches uh, alike? Yeah. Um, and for patients. And, 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 and for patients. Yeah, yeah, for people. Uh, 
uh, that we're doing with this. There are a lot of studies, more than we don't have time to talk about today, all throughout the body, where they have done imaging studies. Uh, we'll talk a lot about, like you said, MRI studies, MR studies uh, throughout the body, uh, but other images too, radiograph, x-rays, uh, CT scans. Um, throughout the spine, throughout the extremities, arms and legs, most of the joints in the body, you can find evidence that people where they have done these imaging studies who don't have any symptoms have these findings that we otherwise correlate with symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it challenges a paradigm of thinking that you know, something going on inside the body that you can see on an image or something that has happened in the body that you can see on the image is causing current dysfunction, mm -hmm. which is obviously not the case in all cases. Can you see, at least when you either reviewed the literature directly or when you look back on your education in that timeline to now, of what raised these questions in the first place? Well, because it, it seems like if something's on an image and it looks pretty bad, then that's pretty bad. Like, why would you question? Because uh, it... You know, the, the findings are very interesting, but I would wonder what led to the questioning of that in the first place, if you happen to have come across that. Well, I, I haven't, clearly. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I know that a lot of these studies, I mean, they date back to what, I mean, 1984 or some of the beginning. Yeah. So this, is not, this is not new. Uh -huh. um, this is information that I think most people know. Uh, at least that are in my field, uh -huh. clinicians, physical therapists. I think a lot of them know it. They may not know the numbers, but they know that it happens. I think the orthopedic surgeons know it uh, at this point. I don't know that the uh, people who are working in strength and conditioning know it as well. Maybe they do. You guys can speak to that better than I can. So th this is something I was talking about in schooling. Sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, 100%. Is there any aspect, and this might sound... Um, uh, well, I don't know how it sounds, but like not accusatory to people in the field, but is there a point at which a surgeon has to pay the bills and the PT has to pay the bills? And, and if someone comes to you with imaging, then then you have this uh, diagnosis. Um, I know that you know it's, it's the, the orthos who are making the, the formal diagnosis, right? And uh, you know the PT might have other things in mind, but you're creating a plan. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of like the politics or the the... Uh, everyday runnings of a clinic and, and these yeah. implications? No, that's a great question. I um, wish that that wasn't a question that we need to consider and ask and think about, but it certainly is. Mm -hmm. um, I can speak to my experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the orthopedic surgeons that I get to work with are excellent. So a lot of them understand the benefits of rehab and uh, they care a lot about people and they want to do a good job. And so they'll try everything conservative before doing something that is more invasive that maybe they get paid more for. Um, but or I'm, I'm sure it happens. Uh -huh. uh, I'm, I'm certain that it happens. Um, and, you know, the, the purpose of coming and talking to you guys about this, and I guess the podcast in some ways could be to just empower people with knowledge. Um, so if, if that is happening, which I think we both would probably agree that it does happen, um, that people would be empowered to, you know, make a decision for themselves instead of being led to believe something that 
may not be true. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say uh, a good. I wonder if a good comparison could be like with a lot of uh, nutrition, where a study comes out and the media picks it up and takes one little part of it uh, and gets it to the, the mass population, and then that's where a lot of these maybe processions come around of people thinking things are a certain way that the majority of actual like dietitian or people who work with a lot of people with nutrition wouldn't actually hold, but the average population thinks it's this way because of the media. What well, they've known for a long time with science. Yeah. So like you said, it's been happening in 1984, but maybe the... And it my, could be before that. That's just yeah. in my humble review. Well, <laughs> even then, it's a long, let's say it's a long time ago that the average population... And the way to maybe make uh, be popular on social media and stuff is to give all these fixes and cures, and and then the media itself will run something online, so like how to fix your back pain or this little study. Where and that happens very much for nutrition, where they're like, oh, well, this study found why makes you live thirty years longer. This is a problem with our culture. Yeah, yeah. We love new things. We get tired of things that work really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we, we've actually that long enough. We've actually spoken about. And, and this, without going too tangential, is like, you know, we'll hear like a, something explained really well. And then our thought is, well, we'd like to share this with someone, but it's been said before. But what we're just going to do is give credit where credit's due and just give our own interpretation rather than trying to like make up these, uh, like, you know, uh, eye catching things that'll stop your scroll on Instagram. But, um, so that got a little, maybe a little off topic. But, but, yeah. but, but coming back, but yeah. coming back to, to this, um, uh, because it is something that I, I think, you know, while, like you said, this this research may have been conducted uh, quite some time ago, I think many people would be surprised to hear this. In fact, our own athletes, when we bring this up to them, and we'll talk about instances today where surgery, you know, uh, might certainly warrant you, your attention. Uh, but when we bring this up to athletes and try to help bring a certain sense of calm uh, and uh, just education about uh, a particular injury or pain that they're experiencing, and we, we present this type of literature because we, we're not ever diagnosing or pretending to know what's going on inside their bodies. That's not our job. Our job is to educate and to help them with their strength and conditioning. That's you know that's where it begins and that's where it ends. Um, and, and you know even uh, my uh, father, who I write programming for, he had uh, this bout where like he just you know really uh, poor recovery and was still training, wasn't even telling me accurate things about like how he was feeling but still going in training and had for a while just some like you know peripheral symptoms in his arm and he's uh, been in trauma medicine for his whole career and he went to a, a fellow doctor who's an orthopedic surgeon he's like what do you think about this and he's like I think you'll be fine you you know work on these other areas that he admitted to the surgeon but not to the person writing his program that was <laughs> a little bit off in, in his own lifestyle stuff uh, that um, you know you're gonna be okay. Like this will this will be all right. He said I could send you down the street and you'd be on someone's schedule, like five other surgeons in town. So are, would you have any recommendations for people who like you know they have they said but my surgeon said, hmm. and we yeah. do we we do take this because uh, like, you said you know we we wish we didn't have to have this conversation. But do you have any advice if people have this happen? Because if, if someone says my surgeon said, they wouldn't think to ask. Why would my surgeon try to lead me wrong? Um, 
do you have any advice for how people might want to like quote unquote shop around to make sure they're getting the best uh, advice possible, if not from like this source of uh, sure. yeah. education? Um, first of all, kudos to you for getting your dad to to do your do your program. Yeah, and mom, my dad would never do mom. Oh yeah, and, and mom, dad and mom. That's for you to do his program. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I do my parents' program as well. Yeah. Both of you guys. Yeah. Nice job. Yeah. I try to do my parents' exercises. It's not going well. Uh, yeah, my mom loves it because she's recently gone into tennis mm-hmm. um, uh, at an older age and wants to really get good at it. Uh, she's now retired, and the lifting has helped her. Everyone's always like, you, you're everywhere on the court. How do you? Now she only gets the ball across the net. That was yeah. getting, getting stronger is good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, um, I think, you know, Someone, there are there are instances where you want to move quickly into a surgical procedure. And, and can you maybe like give, give a sense of like what those re- yeah, so like red flags or instances would be? Yeah, you know, we talked earlier about you know, progressive neurological symptoms. So I mean that they get worse over time. That's correct, or that they are constant over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that they don't get better, mm-hmm. and so to have some neurological symptoms, it's not necessarily time to hit the panic button and uh, operate, but. You know, if you have progressive neurological symptoms over six weeks, then that is where uh, you know you want to be at least working with a uh, maybe a neurosurgeon, mm-hmm. an orthopedic spine surgeon who um, is managing the patient because at that point it becomes dangerous for things that won't improve later. Could could you give some examples of what a neurological symptom would yeah, be? So, yeah. So, um, great question. So, there's neurological weakness which would be like maybe weakness down a part of your limb or okay. in a certain pattern. There are, um, there's like radicular pain, which is pain that originates in the back but manifests itself. Um, if we're talking about the low back and mm-hmm. the, the leg or the neck and the arms, um, that can that can be both kind of shooting and sharp at times, mm-hmm. or you know, like some people I'm sure you've heard describe, or kind of a dull ache. Mm-hmm. Where both of those can manifest themselves, but it's usually in a certain pattern. Mm-hmm. Either Associated with, uh, you know, a nerve somewhere that you can typically kind of figure out based on that pattern. What um, you said it could like originate somewhere, but be felt somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Sure. How? I'm not sure how I asked this question, but how would you know that it is originating somewhere else? Like, let's say you're having some low back pain, you feel it there, but you don't know if it's coming from. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's a hard question. You yeah. do a very thorough assessment. Okay. And then the intricacies of that would really depend on the presentation. Mm-hmm. And then based on your assessment, and then you would, you know, based on your assessment, that would direct you into some kind of intervention. Mm-hmm. And then you, it's kind of an iterative process where that intervention, you're, that is your best kind of effort yes. for that yeah. person yeah. to know what they should do based yeah. on everything that you know. Just like writing training. programs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then from there, Based on the feedback that that person gives you mm-hmm. uh, in response to that, you modify appropriately. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not easy. Yeah. There are uh, a lot of cases of people who have had hamstring pain for years who, if you treat their back, uh, they tend to get better very quickly. Mm-hmm. And they're surprised by that. Or, or pain you know, really anywhere in the extremities. Or, um, there's some interesting evidence about treating the cervical spine with uh, people who have tennis elbow or mm-hmm. lateral epicondylalgia. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, so that's like we could talk about that 
for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so well, going going back to six the, weeks. This yeah. this uh, instance, which you um, might have, uh, you know, these uh, peripheral like neuropathies, right? Uh, or is that that's more of just like I guess that would be only like a numbness, tingling, sharp shooting type pain that you said persists mm. for a long period of time, or, or is so I might have used my wrong term. That might be something. Yeah. So peripheral neuropathy, uh, as I understand it, and. and you get into a lot of defining different yeah. terms yeah. is is what typically manifests itself in the distal extremities, so the hands and the feet, diabetics, you okay. have frequent mm. neuropathy. So that's a little bit different than pain originating from the spine. I see. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit different. Okay. So, but, you you know, you see outside of these peripheral, like, nervy mm -hmm. type sensations, sharp shooting, dull ache, are, are there any other things that people might want to just kind of consider like, hey, you know, this this might be something that you'd act more swiftly yeah. on. So we talked earlier about um, caught up quanta syndrome, which is at the bottom of your spinal cord. If you have an injury to that part of your spinal cord, you can lose bowel and bladder function. Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we're just thinking about the spine then. Um, other things, like if you if you have a, a bone that's sticking out of your arm <laughs> or your leg. You more know, coach, more coach I got it. I'm yeah. going like, yeah. to stick to I my got the squat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, joint dislocation. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these things are considerations. Uh, ACL reconstruction, if you're a young, mm -hmm. active person, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there are some things that are definitely worth, you know, situations where surgery does great. And that's one thing I want to be really clear about when we talk about these studies. It's like, we're not saying this is bad or that it's not valuable. Yeah. Like, it's still yeah. really valuable and, yeah. and amazing that we can even do this. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Surgery. You, you, that, yeah. Surgery, but also just the, the imaging. Yeah, um, yeah, the imaging is really valuable. Yeah, uh, it really informs a lot of practice and uh, a lot of people who have really bad pictures also have them. So uh -huh. you know, it's uh, it's not something we should discredit to the point where we think it doesn't have a lot of value because it does. It's just we should understand that it's not a perfect tool, or yes. or it doesn't explain mm -hmm. pain perfectly in human mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I was just gonna ask. Zach mentioned asymptomatic asymptomatic populations but how could you know and this could be like just as you said before a very thorough assessment if someone is symptomatic and then they did have something on the imaging that was an abnormality how would you then know that you could attribute the, the symptoms to that if it could potentially not be if someone yeah. could be out yeah it's a good question um, if someone comes to you with symptoms and you also have imaging mm -hmm you could pair the symptoms that you see uh, and kind of correlate it with the image. Mm -hmm. So if you had, let's say, uh, let's say you had some upper extremity symptoms that really seemed like they were coming from the level of C6, C7, mm -hmm. like lower down in your cervical spine. And we had an MRI that showed that you had some changes that didn't look so good up higher in the spine. That might be related, mm. but it's less likely to be related than if we saw the exact kind of level that we suspect based on the symptoms. And you see that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, it just helps inform more almost back to that like best guess or best. Yeah, you're, you're, it further informs <clears throat> what the person in front of you presents as. Mm -hmm. 
It's like a, literally a look under the hood. You know, you're, you're yeah. yeah. It's, it's our best. It's, it's what we have come up with to this point. Mm-hmm. We <clears> being like the global we. Yeah. Uh, that can kind of look under the hood. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I if there are instances where it can inform you as to the severity of or maybe like exactly what you're dealing with to create a more rounded picture and I'm going to follow up with what is your rounded uh, approach given all this literature but I think before I, I come back to that I would ask what some listeners are probably thinking is how could someone who doesn't have pain show this type of imaging? And what does that mean about pain? Mm-hmm. Which I know is kind of this multifaceted. Yeah. I love uh, that question. I think yeah. about it an awful lot. Um, it obviously is clear that uh, tissue damage or what we would suspect to be tissue damage does not, it's not a one to one perfect relationship with pain. We also, there's a lot of evidence and anecdotal evidence of people who have pain, but they'll get an image and they don't get anything from the image. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, do, what do you do with all, because yeah, you, you're so, not going to tell someone, oh, you're fine. And you're not going right. to tell someone, oh, it's all in your head. So, so you yeah, know, you're going to educate, like you said <laughs> earlier, uh, and, and teach them that pain is an experience, that it's a perception of the brain, it's an output of the brain, it occurs in the brain, um, based on a lot of different factors, context, uh, history, mm-hmm. uh, exposure. Uh, and so to have conversations with people, there's really great coursework about how to do that for mm-hmm. physical therapists. Um, I've learned a lot from, I might say his name, Louis Pointadora and uh, Tim Flynn on that. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about, uh, what's the, the pain science app? Curable? A curable, yeah. yeah. Tim Flynn was a part of that. So yeah. he's really a leader in the field. So there's a lot of education that you could get if you were interested in it on talking to people about pain. I'm certainly not an expert at it. I practice it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really think it boils down to helping people understand that just because they've had pain doesn't mean that they necessarily will continue to have pain. Mm-hmm. Just because they may have something anatomically that doesn't look very good on a picture, that doesn't mean that they're you know doomed to suffer for mm-hmm. the rest of their life. That uh, you know people, there are at least some examples of people who are doing okay. That have some of these findings. Yeah. Um, so, if someone comes to you and they say a surgeon said, or an image says, um, or they just have uh, you know chronic pain that, and they don't know how to approach it. Uh, you're kind of just sitting down with them as a human being. There's no judgment. Just kind of educating them about their experiences with pain, mm-hmm. what they think or know about pain or what it means to them and then you just have a conversation right that's exactly right okay so from from there you have uh as a physical therapist um both exercises and modalities that that you then uh, use with your patients right that's right and and now as for the type of exercise Mm -hmm. because when you write a program for someone you know uh you, you sometimes have to cater to a psychology or you write for their goals. Sure. How do you use the exercise that you use in your clinic or the modalities you use in your clinic to cater to 
their goals or their uh, psychology based on the conversations you're having. It, or, or that might just be more like progressive as you guys. Uh, I bet it is exactly the same as your training. So you ask them what their goals are. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you listen carefully, uh, like really listen to them. Yeah. And then clarify that you understand them. And then, you know, basically, I guess you could, uh, I think some people have termed it kind of reverse engineer the goal. So it's like, if they want to be here by this time, we agreed that might be realistic. Um, and we're here now. You guys can't see this is a microphone. But kind of two opposite ends of uh-huh. the spectrum. You know, how can we get you where you want to go? Point A to point B. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, usually you want to do it as fast as you can do it really well because mm-hmm. uh, it does cost money to come to the therapist. And our job is to get people on their own, managing uh, you know themselves mm-hmm. and, and knowing how to handle it. So uh, it just depends really yeah. you know, about, about what they want out of life and how far they want to take it and what's reasonable. So it, it, I will then kind of like maybe <coughs> re- re- rephrase this, this next part, which is to say, in your experience, what have you seen to be most effective long-term uh, for helping people in these non-invasive ways? Is it um, exercise alone? Is it a little bit of convincing with modality use or modalities that you believe in? Um, what, where are you trying to get people based on what you looked at with the literature and your own experience? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, again, it depends on that person. So if they have if they've had experience before with modalities that have been successful. Um, and we're saying modalities, but that could be you know, manual therapy. Um, that could be massage. Uh, there's a world of different techniques that you can apply with massage. Uh, that could be you know, joint mobilization, manipulation. Um, and they've come to you saying they've, they, they've yeah, enjoyed... Yeah, maybe, maybe they've been to physical therapy before and this thing really worked for them. Uh-huh. Then I'm going to strongly consider that yeah. um, as a treatment option because they've had success with it in the past. Uh, they think it's going to work. Which is, which really is huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Gets, gets, well, and who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah true. Yeah. My job is getting better. Um, and so, you know, they're at what, what they think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, you know, to be a guide or a partner and kind of work with the person. Yeah. Uh, to understand what they need and then what's worked for them in the past. And then, you know, of course I have things that I think are best. A lot of that is kind of region specific. So it seems like uh, some parts of the body respond to certain things really well Mm -hmm. and don't respond to other things quite as well. Um, And so I have a lot of different techniques that I use uh, with various presentations. So I just kind of let what, what the presentation is, what the person's goals are, all that kind of dictate... Uh, the behavior, but a good therapist, in my opinion, is someone who does both things. Mm-hmm. You know, well, uh, they, they use what we've termed modality so far in our conversation, and exercise, which is like the best medicine. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. have to tell you guys that, yeah. but yeah. Um, exercise is, I think, the greatest tool that the physical therapist has for mm-hmm. long-term success, um, and that people have for long-term musculoskeletal mm-hmm. health. I think. You know, appropriately does exercise performed on a very regular basis is uh, at about as good as anything you can do. There are probably a few things that 
maybe better for the human body than that, yeah. but they're they're not a lot. Um, and so I think that is the ultimate long-term solution. But then you have all these tools that you can implement to get people there maybe faster than they could have got there by themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so we have at this point a picture of, let's say this, this patient has a history of pain. Maybe they've had experience either with exercise or with physical therapy, and they have an image. You're, you're doing education around what that image could mean, the fact that it is possible for them to get better. Mm-hmm. You're kind of working with them. You're meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then from, from there, is it, is it more a, a continued like collaborative process towards uh, getting them towards their goals, even if it's not exercise? Or do you try, after you're done in, with their care, to encourage them towards things that might help them because sometimes I, I hear this and it just sounds almost like I, especially if a geriatric individual were told by some healthcare professional to be completely inactive mm-hmm. I, I would love to see how many years that that particular healthcare provider is shortening their life uh, and, and you know I've looked at research that says that complete inactivity is as effective as maximal activity mm-hmm. so I hear this and I'm like well <laughs> And I don't know if you've seen reach that type of research that there's like kind of like this U shape to the that to it's pain. Plenty of yeah, um, but so that's to say, you know, if they are moving and kind of phasing out of your care, is it does it go back to their goals, or are you kind of advocating for a certain like lifestyle change or, or general accessible activity? Mm-hmm. What, what are yeah. your thoughts? Um, I'm, you set me up perfectly because what I did a poor job of earlier was I left out the most important thing, which is education, mm-hmm. which is kind of where I would go with the answer to your question, um, and to do that in a, in a thoughtful way, um, to, to let people know what, so I'll tell you a story about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was treating a nurse, and she um, didn't want to go to the gym, she had a gym membership, it wasn't a financial issue, it was a motivation issue. Um, and so we were having a conversation and she, something came up about smokers. You know, she might have been talking about her work or I might have brought it up and she was talking about smoking and she said, we had previously had a conversation about how she needed to do some resistance exercise because she's a Caucasian female, fair skin, mm-hmm. blonde hair, osteoporosis, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. and her demographic is pretty common and could be doing some things to work on that. Yeah. Uh, and so we, she started talking about people who uh, were smoking and how she didn't want to pay the insurance premiums. <laughs> I can see where to, this is going. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so to not be a jerk, but to, <laughs> but to highlight the fact that those situations aren't that different. You know, mm-hmm. someone who is you know, not doing what is you know maybe one of the three best things you can do for mm-hmm. yourself. And, and it's not my job to make that decision for people. Mm-hmm. I try yeah. not to. Like. You know, when I'm around people like you guys mm. who are like-minded, and that, that tends to be what I read and who I like to be around. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I think sometimes we take for granted that, you know, whatever great chemicals are going off in our bodies and brains when we're exercising might be a little different for some people. And yeah, that experience true. hasn't been as good with it. So I try to be yeah. understanding. I try to... Um, be artful and thoughtful in how I talk to people about it. So you guys have some training in uh, like 
motivational interviewing? You guys know about that? I've heard about it a lot, more through uh, business, but um, I've never actually looked really far into it. There's a lot of, in, in the fitness community and um, training people, there's, uh, there, there, I know there are textbooks written on motivational interviewing for like fitness education and mm-hmm. things like that, but I try to use a lot of those principles, which is really just you know, working with the person as a guide. So if somebody really doesn't want to change their behavior in a way that I think is good for them, um, that's up to them. But along the way, I'm going to try to ask them questions in a way that maybe uh, encourages them to think about the benefits of mm-hmm. you know, what we're talking about. Yeah. Could you give an example of like how you might... Uh, oh, it's, it's a real art. Because um, the semantics behind this oh, it's, is, is, is so important, right? Like even with... And as we've spoken, you, if you're listening, you might hear... Uh, hopefully in a good coaching setting, uh, correlations between this rehab field we're talking about and, and, and the relationship you might have with your coach. That if what the coach says is final, it's on paper, it's what you got to do, and you have no input in it, you know, that's, that's not a, a good system. So, And this is exactly what we're talking about here for rehab. And we've spoken in the past how these fields may be on the same continuum and they look very similar. Um, but we all often have to just be very careful with how we talk about not just pain because whenever you're working in this physical space of strength and conditioning, you know, it's, it's part of life. You'll, you'll, you'll have people who experience pain. So similarly, but not with nearly, nearly the education you have, we'll have to talk about that. But it's also how you talk about performance too, like the semantics around progression or the semantics around uh, people's, even the sense of self or worth in their exercise means so much mm-hmm. in coaching it's yeah. really powerful I, we're going to have to tune into whatever uh, materials available on, on the teaching of this that you mentioned but um, when when you're thinking about the semantics involved um, are there if you can give examples to like so like behavior change like mm-hmm. if you're trying to is that the goal uh, yeah so, so like um, are there certain if, te- when you're talking about do you want to ask about this motivational interviewing? Like well, I, th- I think what I'm saying is like, are, are, do you have clear examples of like changes in language or, or how the semantics can be different to take someone's perception of their pain mm-hmm. and uh, <coughs> rephrase it? Do you have any examples uh, off the top of your head or yeah. a way in uh, which those semantics are just very powerful? Yeah, that's, that's a hard thing to draw out of air for me right now. Um, Ways that it's so you you might or like I guess talk to them about these findings so uh-huh. to educate them about you know all the stuff that we talked about you know, that certain number of people uh-huh. who are your age similar activity level have these symptoms you might explain that you know you know what you would want to identify whether it's activity related or not that would probably affect how you uh, conversate with the person. Because there are, I mean, you don't want them to think that certain things are bad, but there are probably some things that if you have an acute injury, you don't want to do. Mm. So you've got to be careful with what you say in that regard. Um, you know, I think, you know, what I've learned, and, and I'm by no means an expert in dealing with chronic pain, but to, you know, not to make it the point of the treatment, you know, to, you know, if this is something that, um, has been going on for months and months and months. Well, why not exercise 
and be strong for all the other reasons that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that, that that's so beneficial in other ways, or to you know to get people moving, and then you know if there are maybe some of what you're talking about is like there are oftentimes like some fear avoidance behaviors, and people will have certain ideas and um, you know maybe a framework for looking at it that there may there may be a better framework, so you might try to help them frame it in a different way, or you might try. Uh, to challenge some beliefs they may have that are uh, mm-hmm. maybe unfounded or mm-hmm. aren't helpful. And, and again, like it's, it's, I don't, I can't tell you like exactly what I would yeah, say. Yeah. Because it, it, it really is. It's not a fair uh, question. There's, cause you have the, whatever individuals in front of you, you have, yeah, you're working they're gonna on. They're going to have a certain set of things that are barriers to them being successful. Mm-hmm. And so my job is to try to bring down as many of those barriers as I can. Um, while I try to maintain a really good relationship with the person mm-hmm. and try to be kind of their, you know, their cheerleader, their advocate, their friend in the situation. I, I have, I have two questions. The first, and you kind of touched on this a little, I think with what you're just talking about was almost back to comparing to nutrition where people often say like, uh, Oh, well that, that diet, it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I have to do it this way. Like a good example is, um, you know, keto can be. It can't work. It, it's all about adherence. If people like it, they like it. But oftentimes you'll hear like, I've tried everything. It just That doesn't work for me. I need to do this new special thing. Yeah. Does that ever, does something similar to that ever happen like in uh, rehab? Or Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Michael Phelps, in the Olympics. Yeah. He uh, was on the blocks with all these cupping circles. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all yeah, of a sudden, up. everybody wanted to come and talk about cutting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like that happens. Or um, you know, whatever the, like the, for any modality, well, not for any modality, for a lot of modalities or a certain way of doing a modality, you know, there's always like, so-and-so said that they have this uh-huh. and it worked really well. Yeah. And so that was some of what I was getting to earlier about, uh, you know, listening to people when they, so yeah. Stuff like yeah. That, because that might be you know, the best treatment for them, in mm-hmm. addition to some things that are because uh, because if they believe it, then who it's more likely to work, and then who cares really at that point? Kind of what you're saying, like if it's that's, that's one consideration. Yeah. I don't want you guys to think that I'm just like uh, uh, no, you know, no, not, yeah. To be fair, like we're not doing whatever uh, people you know. Like I just want you to put some heat on my back. And yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, it's like we're not doing that. Yeah, um, there has to be. Some, so all that education yeah, around there yeah. has to be some you know, uh, quality work that is done, mm-hmm. or or I'm a fraud, you know. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't uh, consider really deeply what the person's experience has been. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, in just kind of tracing back to, oh. so I, I just popped. Oh, sorry, you two questions. Sorry. Well, actually, what just popped in my mind. Another comparison there would be in training when someone says they want to tone up, and they've heard this this word. I'm glad you brought this word usage. Yeah, and then and then what you can say is like you guys say when people say tone too. Um, I have to to not be a jerk. Well, I think sometimes you ask exact like I don't know how you always approach it, but like like oh, uh, how do you define that? What does that look like for you? And then potentially say, uh, well, that's like this type of training looks like that or what you could be meaning is you want to gain muscle. Yeah. Um, 
That's really what, fat. I have to really resist the urge to tell people that. Yeah. Or that, or that they just want to lose fat, and because I'll say, you know, you, you gaining muscle, mm-hmm. actually, like gaining muscle will involve you eating more. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to lose body fat, where you might see more of the definition mm-hmm. of muscle, and they'll be like, yes, okay, so then you'd actually like we we would have this maybe a what is not a, at all to do with muscle, like gaining yeah. muscle. It's actually like. Maybe losing some fat mass. And that's what I was going to say. I don't know if it's like a direct comparison, but you say that that's similar to if someone comes to you saying, I heard this works, you could, then that's when, okay, maybe, but here's the education around that as well as you start working. Like, oh, we can definitely do that. And then you educate them as you go as well, kind of thing. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and most of the people that I meet could use some muscle. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah true. They got plenty of calories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, muscle is. is uh, is a great thing for most people, but we again, we have different kind of ones of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the other, um, and I think you touched on this earlier, and maybe I'm just not remembering how you fully answered it. But if someone does have some low back pain that's been around for a while, um, let's and you mentioned six weeks, yeah. like a time frame potentially. If it's uh, getting worse, worse, and worse, that's when you may look at it. But let's say if it's staying about the same or going down, coming up, going down, do you still look at about six weeks and then that's when you get to look at? Just kind of like, when, when is a good, like, when do you know, okay, I should maybe go look at it or when do you know, okay, I just need to calm down around it, keep going, monitor my training. Does that make sense for it? It sure does. So if symptoms are changing, um, that means, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. So that means at least some of the time you are out of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And so you need to figure out why some of the time you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, whether it's changing your behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, the ways you're doing certain things, uh, your posture, the positions that you're getting in, maybe for a short time, I'm not mm-hmm. saying forever, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, to avoid what is provoking the symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have symptoms that vary. That's, that's a much different case than these constant worsening symptoms. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I see people all the time. I saw a guy this morning. He sat down in the chair and uh, said, well, I've had back pain for 30 years. And I said, all right. Yeah. Know, this is uh, going to be fun. Yeah. Um, and I think it will. I think it will do great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just, you know, that's a different patient management situation. Okay. Yeah. So um, when someone comes to you and it's quite evident We've spoken about, you know, at least like you said, we phrase these modalities. We've spoken about exercise. We've spoken about the importance of language. And, and what I was trying to get at earlier was, I, I feel like sometimes we'll have people come to us and say, "Well, my so and so said I have uh, knock knees and this and that." It's, it's almost like they go to their provider and they have, they're told ten more things that's wrong with them than than being told language that's empowering and that's encouraging. I, I think that's. And we can come back to that, but so let's just say you have these cases where um, you know you're you're working on your exercise, you're, you're giving them the modalities that they've had success with, or that they find you're particularly skilled in that they believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, when do you start to ask about certain lifestyle things that might influence how they feel or their progress, and and what lifestyle things do you uh, emphasize more than others from the very beginning? Mm-hmm. So it's like an, in, in an initial yeah, eval or just the, just as it comes up? Yeah, so a big part of 
diagnosing appropriately is to understand aggravating factors. Okay. And so for you guys, a lot of times that might be weightlifting stuff. So when I catch, uh, I smash my shoulder hurts mm-hmm. or uh, insert whatever. Yeah. You're with me. Uh, for me, it might be when I reach in the back seat of my car. And so those things are lifestyle things. So we'll talk about those and I'll try to really understand what things in their lifestyle, their behaviors, what are what may be provoking their symptoms based on presentation, and then what are things that may be alleviating those symptoms, and can we do less provoking and more alleviating um, with some of your behaviors? But also, you know, to be thinking about sleep, to be thinking about how you're eating, to be thinking about stress in your life and how you manage that. I try to have conversations with people about this all the time. So how, how do you go, because you, you know, when, even when we first met you, you're very well-spoken. You, 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 you have a very, you, you possess your language very well. If, and we were, I was talking about this with um, my wife because, you know, our, our dog's been sick. We've been sleeping less. And at the same time, we've been trying not to get like too, we know, I know that it'll affect my training, so I adjust my training, but I try not to get like too, I try not to make it too much of a big deal. Sure. I know it has a real impact, but the way I try to speak to my athletes about it and the way that we all approach it is it's always non-threatening. It's like, hey, so you know, we just want to acknowledge these things, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be like, hey, if we don't want to freak someone out. So like, hey, you know, if you're going to, if you're getting six hours, you can't ever exercise. It's not that kind of thing. Like fear or stuff. you're gonna get hurt. Or yeah, you're gonna get it, hurt. It, yeah. yeah, it's, it's well, it, what some people might see is like, well, if I didn't sleep nine hours, I might as well not go train today. Yeah, yeah. it's like, what do you know? You're not you're gonna. You're, are you actually gonna not train because it's, these situations have to be ideal? So, do you um, go about it with like uh, just like thoughtful questioning? And this, I just would love to. You know, I have to come to the clinic and if that's possible to see the, see how the the language is used in that whole interaction. But when you talk about sleep and nutrition. And stress are these just kind of questions that you're trying to lead them to answer themselves? Is it? I recommend that you look at this body of literature. How, what does that look like? Because from from what we've seen, it's like you said, really outside of the clinic or outside of the gym, stressors, be it good or bad, sleep and food intake. But how do you? How how far do you take that? Again, I use. Uh, I have, a, I have a book I'll let you borrow. I use a lot of the principles of motivational interviewing to do these kind of things. So, you know, I will ask thoughtful questions. And then... I think that's what I'm looking for. Like, what, what are some, like, actual techniques of this so, type of So, what you're, what you're doing when you're motivational interviewing is you're trying to um, elicit and understand the person's own motivations for the change that you made. So, if, if you want someone to sleep, you might ask them, you know, how much do you sleep? And, you know, they might say six hours, five hours. And then, you know, if you are quiet for a moment, they might say something like, uh, but I know I need to get more. Uh-huh. <laughs> Versus if you just jump on it and you're like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. You're nine. <laughs> you know, that's not going to be very good. But, uh, you know, motivational interview, you're trying to elicit what they call change talk, which huh. is these are talks like, uh, like what you need to do, what you will do, a good reason for doing it. I want to do this because I love my kids or, I want to be around for my grandkids. You know, you're looking for these kind of things. 
and maybe you take up the other side. So maybe you know they say, well, I slept five hours. You're like, yeah. Is it you know going to sleep or is it staying asleep? Or mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, oh, that's a, something a lot of people struggle with. Or, you know, that's hard. It's hard to get to sleep. You, know, yeah. you got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. And then let them kind of have the space to say all the reasons why they mm-hmm. should change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that tends to work. Sometimes. Well, because it's, it's it's genuine. Yeah. It's not it's not threatening. That's, that's it's a not... good point too. Because you can have uh, so you're married, Kyle. You married? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure you understand very well that if you have tried this with your spouse, your spouse can see right through it. And she's like, she's like, stop manipulating. <laughs> and I know what you're trying to do. Uh, so there, it is. It is. It has to be very sincere. Um, you have to because ask. you don't want them to feel like they're being psychoanalyzed. Yeah, hundred percent. Who yeah. wants that? No, yeah. Because uh, you're not superior. You're, you're just guiding them along. Yeah, I mean, it's just my job to help you get where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you you mentioned uh, and and that like, the semantics like that was kind of examples, and we'll have to look at that that literature. I'll get you that book, man. That that would be really helpful. Um, because, and if you're hearing this, and and I think like I asked about. Assert. I was say, what's the book called? Just so people on the podcast. Might so there, are, there are plenty oh, of motivational interviewing books. There are like textbooks. Uh, the book that I read recently is called Motivational Interviewing in Healthcare. But I, I, I'm right. certain from just a very cursory search that there find. are there are motivational interviews specifically for your field, yeah. like wow. specifically okay. for yeah. like trainers or oh, yeah. fitness professionals. Sounds like they're niching down a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. Well, you got to think. I mean. If you're a fitness professional, yeah, it's huge. I mean, a yeah. lot of the guys. I mean, people, and this is true for my work sometimes yeah. too. You know, we get the the good fortune of working with people who are incredibly motivated, yeah. and that can kind of spoil you a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. like you don't have to you don't have to work on that piece. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, at a population level, there are a lot of people who really struggle with motivation, and so that's probably one of the areas. Uh, you know, this kind of behavior change related to exercise is probably one of the areas that's ripest for mm-hmm. its uh, use. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you had mentioned before that you know you're you're working in some cases to uh, you have your hands full because, like you said, you have motivation, you have their history, you have things that kind of come up uh, and, and form these these barriers that you're taking down. Mm-hmm. Um, these barriers, I imagine, create certain expectations that the the patient or even the athlete based uh, however you want to see this if you're in pain you might be on it right now in your mind you might be the patient if you're an athlete you might be thinking about this in terms of your performance how do you go about talking to them about their expectations in their role of getting to where they want to go mm-hmm. and are there instances in which if someone comes to you with an initial like hard and fast expectation you might have to kind of raise the ante on them and let them know that, hey, a, a little bit more um, uh, sternly perhaps, like we're not going to have the success you want if we can't change where you see this going. Okay. Uh, so can you speak to how expectation plays a role in this all? That's great. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, precision nutrition, if you're familiar with them, they have yeah. this infographic. It's like the cost of being lean. And it's like, do you, oh, really, I've seen do that, you, yeah. do you really want this six pack? Right? Yeah. And it's like these trade offs. I'm going through that right now. Yeah. <laughs> he I mean, is. It's tough, right? Yeah. Like ice cream yeah. is pretty great. Yeah, I'll uh, say it's, it's not always, I mean, personally for me, I'm, I'm cutting near the end, and it's not necessarily 
Well, it's actually been really nice for me because it's not necessarily the food that I can't have, but it's like social, like just being with friends. Sure. And now that I've like gotten that's, that, that's on the pyramid too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure. I'm like, and now that I've gotten, I'm like, well, I guess, uh, like, I, I definitely, it was worthwhile because I, like, like, would like to get leaner, but I don't know if I really need to get six pack lean. Yeah. Like, I can get decent, and I go back up, and I get decent. Like, that's okay <laughs> with me. I guess yeah. Ultimately, the question is, yeah. is it healthier? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been convinced of that. Yeah. But that may, it may be. Yeah. Um, you know. What was your question again? Yeah, sorry, I totally cut no, you no, off. No, um, no, just how expectations play a role in someone's success with their, with, yeah. in, in this case it's rehab, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you also know it's for training. Like you highlighted, um, the social stuff was on the, the yeah, trade-offs. Yeah. Yeah. But to help people understand what is realistic, and then you you know you might just tell them a story about somebody else um, who was in a similar situation. Uh, hopefully you have a good one. Uh, and that, that works a lot of times. But you, you just have to shoot it straight with people, you know? Mm-hmm. We'll have unrealistic expectations, and it's your job to let them know that. Uh, how you do that again, I guess it just depends on the person. It does, yeah. Well, what about that person who says, you know, I've tried everything, I'm here because oh, yes. my insurance covers it. So do your you, thing, like, you what do you do with that kind of pot? Because that, that I imagine that's the hardest barrier to it's just like I'm here, but I'm not expecting this to work. Yep, yeah. Well, I might talk to them about, uh, about the power of expectations. Uh, you know, that one of the studies, there's a, a Lewis article, it's not, he's not the lead author, but Jeremy Lewis is a great shoulder researcher um, out of the UK. And, you know, he did all this research on shoulder pathology. And I'm, I'm gonna pull it up on my computer. John has both on his computer and printed <laughs> out all, he's, he's our kind of guy. Yeah. All I'm, this uh, research in front I'll of him. I try to be prepared. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, in the study, they looked at all these variables. They were all psychological variables that correlated really well with patient outcomes for shoulder pain. Mm-hmm. And it was they looked. They didn't just look at psychological variables, but a lot of the variables that correlated the best were these psychological variables. And so, and one of those that correlated really well was the patient's expectation for treatment outcome. So people who expected to get the most better. <coughs> That's probably not the best way to say that. They have the best outcome. Uh-huh. Um, they had the best outcome. And so you can talk to them about stuff like that. Uh, some people kind of roll their eyes. I've definitely had people roll their eyes at me like, oh, you know, if I could fix it, I would have fixed it already with my uh-huh. head. But, you know, I think you do it subtly. And then the cool thing about rehab and with people in pain is, you know, I can, I can find out what provokes their symptoms or like a provocative test or something like that mm-hmm. and then I can do an intervention right then yeah and then I can retest and if they're better people tend to kind of be like okay yeah you, you create some buy-in yeah exactly right yeah. and I can do that again and again and then we can find things so we're always just testing mm-hmm. and if you're not getting better then yeah we, yeah. we can have that conversation too because I mean sometimes that does happen and yeah. Then you might have a referral that needs to happen, but it's just it's just assess, do an intervention, continue to assess, mm-hmm. modify your intervention if you need to, yeah. continue to assess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, first I was gonna say I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but another good example of expectations more in the strength conditioning field was um, I remember Greg Knuckles posted the study that they basically took this team of 
Powerlifting. I think it was the British national team. Have, have you heard of this stuff? Oh, the steroid stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, okay. yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah, they put half of them on. Wait, they trained for a bit, and then they said, here, you guys take these legal steroids. And they all, like, went, like, their Fresh. numbers went, cr- like, they crushed it. Like, right. 25, 50 kilos. Like, incredible numbers. And then they told, like, half the group, well, you guys were on placebo, or placebo pill. You guys, or you guys were just on a sugar pill, or what? I can't mm-hmm. remember the actual term. And you guys were actually on steroids, and the people who found like found out that they were just on like the sugar pill, all their all their their gains didn't even stay. They like literally went away, and the people on who thought they're still on steroids still kept their strength gains. But it was all just the sugar pill, which is crazy to me. And, and, and in our field, <clears throat> I mean, we're not doing this, but unless you're a coach, actually like giving people drugs, yeah, that really becomes your relationship. Mm-hmm. Like your well, environment and culture, and that's why it's so good for like. I know he has another one where he he had uh, him and his wife. They they were lifting. You know, Greg's a super strong guy, and he had like, I don't I don't think I think it was just like a family friend. She would come lift with Greg and his mm-hmm. wife, and she got like ridiculously strong. She thought that was the norm. Like she thought that that's uh, just like they're pretty. They're yeah, they're like, oh, Greg squats seven hundred. Uh, I think his, her name's Lindsay. Squats like. Uh-huh. 300 or something she's pretty strong as well i i'm a i can strong i can squat that and so she got like crazy strong too yeah. and then she found out that it's like crazy for her to be able to do this but she just thought it was the norm yeah i i think like you said you know just environment but when, when you also come back to the relationship you had let's say it's coaching from afar right mm-hmm. like our, our language means so much because mm-hmm. it's we can't be there to show that that support. There are no nonverbals. There, yeah, there are no nonverbals. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we do video, so like, okay, never mind. We, yeah. we, we, there, there is some of that. Um, we do a lot of like audio. Some of our athletes hate it, but like, <laughs> we do a lot of like audio messages. So they can hear like tone of voice. Mm-hmm. Um, That's nice. Zach starts his the same every time. <laughs> it's like they'll make fun of it, but that makes a difference. Though. Oh, and, and no, he actually does that to me all the time. So I always respond. Hey, man. <laughs> so what I'm getting at is if, if, if like you said, in the steroid study or yeah. fake steroid study, you know, the choice of words can actually lead to not just like people stalling, regression, like this yeah. fear of here are 10 other things that are wrong with you. These things are your fault. Oh, your, your training is not getting better. You're not a good responder. Well, it's on you. Like it couldn't possibly be the coach that's doing something wrong or nocebo is very good. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So I think just having, um, as we're talking, and just making sure that this uh, process, whether it's uh, you know PT or whatever allied health professional or health professional, you know, MD or uh, surgeons, having an honest feeling like when you're, and this is for you, all the audience, feeling like you're having a genuine conversation with this person and then they are acting in your best interest, that they don't have anything to prove mm-hmm. to you, that they are not steering the ship but instead kind of working with you to get to where you want is just I think paramount in, in, in this and as I think about my athletes who've had the most success it's that they have really felt that way and if they haven't then I know I need to work harder to you know because sometimes you you might clash or you because it's not always easy to convince people that they can get better or that they can achieve what they want and if you ever do clash, to just make sure, like in any relationship, like, hey, you know, like, this is the same goal. Like, we're on the same team, working towards the same goal. Yeah. And for that to be just so very obvious through your actions and your behavior to the person, mm-hmm. that you build trust, um, 
yeah, that you're right. I mean, dealing with people is really hard. And I, I hear that a lot of people who come out as PTs wish they had more psychology taught in school. I hear that's like one of the biggest sure. yeah. reviews. I, um, I think, yeah, that's that's probably accurate uh, for, for my educational experience. Uh, but you know, I think there are also some people who are just naturally better at it than others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was in here the other Saturday and I was watching you guys coach and you guys were interacting with people and, you know, giving people knuckles or high fives and hugs and building rapport. I think some people are are good at that naturally. I think some people really struggle. Mm-hmm. But I do think whether, you know, what side of the spectrum you end up on that, you can always get kind of better at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find, for me, when I am actively reading about this stuff and learning about it, just the act of reading about it raises my awareness mm. of doing it when I'm doing it, if that makes uh-huh, sense. Yeah, sure. Like, what? just the fact that I, I'm reading about, like, if I read this motivational interview book, when yeah. I go and I'm in the clinic with a patient, I'm going to be thinking about the language. I'm going to be uh-huh. thinking about what I read last night, how it applies to what I'm doing. And so just to be, like, continue to learn in that space and think about that mm. and cultivate that ground. Um, I, I was just going to say there's i I'm pretty sure there's actually, like, a term in psychology for that, and I'm not sure if this is the exact example, but what came to mind was, have you guys ever seen that that video where it's like a bunch of people maybe like passing basketball back and forth, and oh, the then like gorilla. the gorilla goes yeah. through it? Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. yeah. What yeah. is this? Can you explain it? Well, that like people are like just doing a bunch of stuff on the screen, and then a gorilla goes they through the center. Them, so what they're doing, yeah. have, um, there's like, yeah, forgive me if this is inaccurate, but I've, I've heard this several times. They're, they're counting passes, and they're yeah. so focused on the task that many of the people... <laughs> completely missed the gorilla walking through the center oh so so people are are asked afterwards like did you see See the the gorilla gorilla? (laughs) and they're like no yeah Yeah. and i I don't think that's i don't think that's a term but there is something where it's like when you when you become a like aware of it or read about it you're then either more likely to not fall like be successful to it or you're just yeah you're like okay i can think about this now because whatever the term is yeah yeah it's a real thing yeah. Think, yeah. We all have that. yeah. Great. So you know, we've been talking for a while. And I think we've hit on a, a lot of great things. And one thing that I'm going to kind of put you on the on the hot seat with, it, but not too hot, is um, Our if, aliens real now. <laughs> uh, is if you were to, uh, let's just say, you have someone who's a prospective a student of physical therapy or chiropractic or mm-hmm. massage. Um, you know, with, with the education that you've received, with where you are now, you know, you, you, you're a DPT. You you have your CSCS. You 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 have as you the first to uh, acknowledge you. You know, you're all you're actively learning. But with you know, looking back with your uh, uh, experience to date, what would you advise someone who who wants to get into this profession, and and, and what's important, and uh, you know what what's ahead for them? So the profession of PT is. It's great. There are certainly some challenges. Um, I can't speak to the chiropractic uh-huh. uh, just because I don't you know, really know that much about it. Uh-huh. Um, but for PT, you know, it's a, it's a really broad field, so you could do a lot of different things. So to explore that and see, I guess, what is the route that you want to go. And I think one of the things that I have been fortunate in is having a place to work where I can practice with integrity and in a way that I think is best. Um, a lot of that is 
based on the uh, environment that you're in, uh, who you work for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been very fortunate to, to work where I work and get to you know, spend a lot of time with patients one-on-one and, and practice in a way that I think is, is the best way to practice. Mm-hmm. And so I think... You know, maybe if you if you did make more money doing something else, to really consider um, the long term for the profession, because if people are you know, if people are practicing in the best way, that's going to be good for the profession. And if they're not, then it's, it's not obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, to read a lot, to learn a lot, and, and just enjoy it. You know, uh, to go down a bunch of rabbit holes. You know, mm-hmm. like with this, I was telling my wife last night, I was like, I could, you know, I could read one paper. And then I want to read ten more papers, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like there are all these interesting things, and you can just go and go. And to to find something that you enjoy enough to where that is not like a chore, uh-huh. but that is like, oh man, I'm excited about this. Mm-hmm. Man, this is something that I enjoy. I'm really curious. I want to know this for whatever reason. It's going to help me help people. Um, and to you remember why you're doing it, right? It's, it's a cool feel because you get to interact with people, you build some relationships with people, and you know, hopefully you can affect some measurable change in their life. I think that's an important thing to kind of hold on to. Uh, but it's a great feel. Yeah. yeah, I like it a lot. It's probably not for everybody, uh, but it's been good to me so far. Awesome. And it, my, my next question is for those who are listening who have experienced uh, whether it's pain in a short amount of time or over a longer residual, you know, more chronic case. Uh, again, based on your experience, what do you tell people or what try, what kind of message do you try to have for people who have pain? What is that? What can that future look like? Uh, you know, what, what kind of steps could they take where you would feel comfortable knowing that, you know, if you're referring someone or that someone's taking the first few steps in feeling better, what should they know getting into that process? It, with like a, a physical therapist maybe? Is that kind of what you're uh, saying? With a physical therapist or just uh, people who have pain? Like is this like, like what what can their expectations be if they don't have, mm-hmm. or, or maybe if, if not a physical therapist, like, you know, sure. how can they help themselves? So I think, I think movement is good. Um, and it's not, that's not an absolute. So all types of movements aren't always good mm-hmm. um, for everyone. But there is probably an amount of movement that it could be helpful to nearly anyone, um, whether that's just you know, people who are healthy or maintained or people who've had pain for a long time and they feel like movement is their, their enemy uh-huh. you know, that makes them hurt. You know, to find a way to move that, is, that does not, and, and whatever that is, and then to scale that up to whatever the demands of the person's life are or whatever their goals are. Uh, but, I, you know, I think when I work with people who have been kind of in a dark place, uh, because because pain will get you there. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it'll really, it's, especially if you've had it, you've had significant pain for a long period of time, it is demoralizing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you said, like, referencing other people who might have had pain to help build a... Yeah, like, to, and tell success I, I tell people, like, my own... I've I've been there. Like, I know where it can mm-hmm. bring that's, your mind. And, but that's that. so powerful for you because, like, to, to one, to have been there and to have to, to be able to be really empathetic towards mm, what the person's yeah. going through. So to be able to say, hey, you know, I can actually see through their perspective because I remember being there. I have mm-hmm. that. 
uh, where I don't know about Kyle, but I don't have a chronic pain story. And well, so I was actually say current. I've had um, a little bit of groin pain for a while and, until maybe sometime in November I started getting some back pain. I knew what it was. I was squatting and pulling too much from the ground, so I adjusted it. It's still around, but it, it hasn't gotten worse. And sometimes it's days it's worse than others, but right now it's actually started to like subside. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been super frustrating, especially the groin, because that's been around for quite a, quite a bit. Um, but I know how to adjust my training to around, and it feels great when I train. Yeah. Well, so, and, and not to say this is funny, and even that's super annoying. But yeah. when 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 Kyle, <laughs> so I, I first met Kyle when he was eighteen. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, I feel great. I like, I have these sessions. I recover all the time. And then it's like, like you know, he like hits twenty one. He's like, still, oh great, like can take all this stuff. And he hits like twenty two, twenty three. He's like, oh, I got this like little thing that's not so, going away. So, you know, I actually think <laughs> I actually think it's it's uh, not a result of getting older, but getting much stronger than I was at those ages. Dealing with heavier loads. Mm-hmm. And just having to learn to manage that thing. better. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, to a better answer to your question, what would I tell the people who are maybe in a dark spot? Uh-huh. Just hold on. You know, keep trying stuff. Uh-huh. Don't, don't give up. Hopelessness is really kind of the darkest place. Uh-huh. And so to experiment with things like, uh, you know, maybe you go and you find a good personal trainer who, uh-huh. or a trainer or strength conditioning coach who... Uh, can work with you and, and modify appropriately and do things that are not threatening to start with and then scale that up or maybe you go find a, a great PT or a great chiropractor or mm-hmm. you know you, you explore things uh, and you don't stop until you know you, you get somewhere and maybe you can look for like uh, people who speak to you with this kind of uh, cooperation and language that, that is, is you'll, encouraging you'll know right away yeah I mean uh, you know people are very uh, observant when someone is not really listening to them, mm-hmm. not really. I mean, you can tell. Yeah, you can always tell, uh, and you, you could probably you could probably even tell better than you can articulate it. Like it's probably something that's uh, yeah made in us. It's like oh, he he doesn't really care. And so you want to work with people who care because there are a lot of people out there uh, who do a great job. Like, yeah. there are so many people. That I meet um, all the time. There are a lot of great PTs here in Asheville that I'm friends with. There are a lot of great orthopedic surgeons, like I said, who I really respect. There are a lot of great primary care physicians who really want to do well for people. So it's like find some of those people, and if the people that you find are not providing that for you, go find some other people uh, and just keep looking. Because you know I do think there are things that people can do. You know, it may not. Uh, you, you, your expectations are important, like we talked about, but there is usually something that people can do to feel better or to move better mm-hmm. or to um, be more proactive in their life for their future, or, you know, what, whatever it is, and then to find the person who can help you do that. Yeah, I, I, I think that it, the way you said that movement, that some kind of movement will be good, uh, is I heard uh, we bring up Greg Knuckles all the time, but. He, he was asked, like, how do you start them on an exercise program? And he says, well, I'd probably start them off with bodyweight exercises in their home. Yeah. It's just like, you know, yeah. trying to reduce the or amount of barriers do. or obstacles or whatever they want to do. It's just making it accessible yeah. and starting with what, what's simple. So uh, he actually even said, he, uh, he's, like, he's like, I have a theory that the people who stick with uh, training the longest throughout their life went in and just did like the 
like crazy bodybuilding bro split, like just, just had fun. Learned. And and then they just had so much fun the first couple of years, just doing whatever they wanted, like um, even if it wasn't like optimal. And then they got optimal. They last longer, but the people who try to be optimal right away stop much sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's like earlier we were talking about, uh, I, I jokingly said, well, I only slept six hours last night, so I'm not going to train today. It's like, you know, to remember the things that are most important and then the things that are traditionally important. Yeah. yeah. You, you'd like to do as, as well with those as you can, mm-hmm. but you got to do... Yeah. Prioritize the foundational thing first, or it's not even worth having a conversation. Yeah, and then to just provide one last piece of, uh, you know, uh, hopefully some reassurance and, and, and building some confidence. If you're listening and you have had pain, um, we can link this YouTube video. Is uh, one that um, uh, Alex Viata, who we've had on the podcast, you may know, he he's, uh, does a great job in the field, uh, especially working with concurrent training. But he linked this one video. And it was the good. It was the title was the good news for back pain, mm-hmm. and then based on literature findings and, and our observations and, and what I've done on the literature side of things with other joints, I think you could inhibit that for just about any other joint or you know, musculoskeletal type injury. Is that despite the prevalence of low back pain, something like you know in these longitudinal studies, ninety five percent is like ninety eight percent of people get better. It might take time, you know, based on like you said the. You might see something on MRI or based on the severity of your symptoms, you know, it might take a little bit longer, but the good news is that it does seem to get better over time and that there is this U-shaped curve to activity where maximal activity is going to probably have you feeling beat up. Uh, but interestingly from this study, uh, zero activity had pretty similar results and that there is this sweet spot where if you can just, you know, find something that doesn't continue to poke at the symptoms but that provides motivation, like even just physical, like you're, you're moving, there's movement and it doesn't worsen your symptoms. I, I agree, that's totally the right place to start. And that can be like you said with any setting, it could be physical therapy, it could be training, it could be jazzercise or something <laughs> in the pool, but you know, some movement I think is, is what we're finding out and at least in our experience is what works best. Yeah, I think people, like you were talking about earlier, Colin, Social media, it's like, what's the best thing? Or yeah, this, yeah. This versus this. But, like, if you look broadly, not really narrowly, most any form of exercise is pretty great for the body. Yeah. Um, you know, like, jazzercise or, you know, I, I'm sure that's great when done well. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's the butt of a lot of jokes. But <laughs> I, bet, I bet if you had somebody doing oh, and good social support and, and somebody that wasn't doing anything, <laughs> yeah. doing jazzercise, it's killing. And, and if anything, it's a great, great start yeah. to something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just to, to do whatever that you will do. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that's another principle of behavior change. It's like, don't don't try to change everything at once. Just like think yeah. of one small change that you are actually willing to make mm-hmm. that, you, that you can do, that you will do, uh, that you're confident you'll be successful doing mm-hmm. and then do that thing yep. and then see what happens. And yeah. then maybe you add another thing later but just do that thing first and so that thing would be some type of movement whatever yeah. that means. We, we talk about that with athletes in terms of like a needs analysis and with it sounds like these behavioral changes you know the needs analysis will, will go up at the top is what you need most to improve maybe in your sport, uh, for instance. But the needs analysis for these behavior changes, don't take it all on at once. Create a list and, and 
what is most accessible yeah. rather than what is needed most to perform becomes thing one on your on your list, and, and you don't have to uh, become overwhelmed with all of the other things that you might want to change. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Well, uh, like you said, John, you know, you, just as you can continue talking about this, Pharaoh, so can we, and hopefully we'll have you back on the shows. It's been so fun to do this to uh, discuss a, a host of other topics that kind of uh, involve both the rehab and the strength and conditioning field because they are so intertwined. Um, but Kyle, do you have any other thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. That was really, yeah, that was really I, awesome. Could uh, you guys do show notes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We can link stuff. I, uh, we didn't really talk very much about all this literature. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I might send you like a bibliography if people are interested in well, looking that, at yeah. some of these studies. I have Other podcasts as well, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever you guys think is best, but yeah, I have it if that's something you want to do. So, would you recommend, and this is something that I have, um, uh, it, it, this is what I do. If you have another recommendation, let me know. Is that I will just, if, if clients say, because I'm just their strength and conditioning coach, telling them that. I think we can reduce fear around these things, but they're, they might have been to it, ortho, and mm-hmm. I say, here's some literature. Yeah. Take this to Ooh. the person and and try to have a conversation about it. Is that mm-hmm. too tough? Is that? Wh- I, I, I'm sure it depends on what the surgeon. Uh, or is this something that they want to digest on their own, and then they start shopping around, or? That's, that's a great question. Like, so what would people do with that? What would people do with that information? Yeah. I guess educate themselves. Like, know that, um, so what I've done with kind of how I organized it was I put it like different regions of the body. So I had, you know, some evidence from the lumbar spine, some evidence from the cervical spine, the hip, the knee, um, and the shoulder. And it's just some bibliography. People could look at it. Um, if it's specific to them or if they're just interested, uh, globally or kind of more all over the body uh, and if you think that it would do more harm than good I was say what what is the what is the literature center around like just like pain in these areas well or? it's just so um, like an example like this study um, I thought you guys would love this people can't see this yeah uh, on the podcast yeah. but like you know it's basically just these, these findings that people might see on mm-hmm. a MRI so, so just this, this is a, a systematic review of uh, people who have low back pain, mm-hmm. uh, and looking at a bunch of different studies and pooling that evidence to come up with kind of percentages in asymptomatic people. So you know, I use evidence like this to think, you know, if you have something that is eighty is in eighty percent of asymptomatic fifty year olds, a disdegeneration, which which would freak someone out, like, exactly, totally. So I, I, yeah. I, I, and I actually have a good idea. What we should do is. Just make it a blog blog post, I think. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be really that might easy. Take some time. <laughs> well, no, you don't have to. I mean, not not explaining it uh, all out, but it on. Uh, I guess it, it's a blog post. We in do itself. make it as a, the the, the, po- the blog. The yeah. podcast is released on the blog, so you can put in the bib- bibliographies in the yeah. those notes. Whatever you guys want. To yeah. but, we'll figure it out. But, but just, let's, let's go. Just so you, I mean, you're hearing you, so this. So yeah. if someone if if someone told you that if you're a 50 year old person that you have disc degeneration that, that sounds pretty sounds terrible. that's going to ruin your day right that sounds terrible <laughs> that's that's 80 percent likely in in people who don't have pain and people, so, and so, so if you really think about it so if you included yeah. the people who do have pain it might even be higher yeah. so and then okay so this will and we might have to do a follow up on this but so this will lead me to based on these numbers 
and just to give you some others, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, disc protrusion is 40%, and this is, again, like you said, in asymptomatic people. Um, and the age is important, too. And, and the, the age is very important. But like, even disc regeneration is 40% in 20-year-olds. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's interesting, right? Um, so, so I think what this leads to is that, so we spoke about pathoanatomical findings. Does that change how you perceive what is "quote unquote" degenerative versus what is part of the aging process? That was a really good question that you asked earlier. Is like, should we even call it pathoanatomical findings? Do you change it into like uh, an aging? Uh... That's a, that's a great that's a great question. And is it even aging, or is it um, more um, use? Uh, yeah, overuse maybe. Yeah, you know, I think these are good questions. It'd be interesting I, to. I, I, these are probably out of my. Yeah. yeah. Out of what I'm capable of giving you. Well, no, but a study would be interesting to see, like, if, and maybe you know this, if resistance training lowers that. Uh, I actually, I, oh, so do you, if, no, 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 go. We, Please go. Uh, in the same video, which we'll also link, the, uh, yeah. the it, from a conference it was taken, I forget the, uh, <laughs> the she, I want to say as an anesthesiologist, uh, she led this, this talk. Again, titled, if you want to just go to YouTube and title, um, The Good News for Low Back Pain, is that she looked at uh, general uh, active populations mm -hmm. against like running and cycling mm -hmm. populations. And the running and cycling populations had better imaging than just like generally active. So you wonder what and this isn't true. People who yeah. did weightlifting, like actual yeah. Olympic style weightlifting, had better imaging mm -hmm. than general like generally active people, but that there were sports that revealed high uh, repetitive motions in, in, in continuous extension and flexion, such as like rowing, gymnastics, that those showed to be perhaps a little bit more uh, injurious mm. than others. Um, interesting. So reading all this stuff, um, so you were talking about like in the sh maybe the shoulder, you were a baseball player. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, what, were you a pitcher? I was a catcher, so you throw back more... Yeah, yeah. You throw back all the pitches. All the pitches. Yeah. All the pitches. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for this study, but there's a study in uh, professional uh, major league baseball pitchers who didn't miss any time over the past two years um, on the disabled list, and like 11 of 21 of them had a rotator cuff tear. Yeah. Who and didn't miss? They didn't yeah. have any symptoms. Yeah. They didn't miss any time. But people hear that and they're like, "That's terrible." Yeah. Like rotator cuff, and that's torn. And, yeah. you, know, you know, two of them were full of fitness tears. <laughs> so these guys were out there throwing 90 yeah. miles an hour, or maybe, I don't know how fast they throw, the yeah. individuals in particular, but full of fitness rotator cuff tears, they don't have any symptoms. There was another one, um, hockey players, where they looked at, it was a four-year follow-up, and so a lot of these studies, they'll kind of frame it like, well, we're looking for early degenerative changes. So we're gonna we're trying to look for things before there are symptoms, so maybe mm -hmm. we can identify it and have well, some cars, intervention yeah, yeah. early. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's a great idea. And uh, they did this four-year follow-up in hockey players. I have it to you. Give me just a second. Um, well, basically, they showed all of these hockey players because of the nature of the sport. They put a lot of stress on that hips and they have a lot of problems mm -hmm. with some of the car and so they look at one like, of my athletes actually have they look like at like the evidence of FAI and uh, labral mm -hmm. uh, pathology 
and they see a ton of it in these asymptomatic hockey players, and so they followed them for four years, and uh, only one player missed a game in hockey over the next four years. Which who, is kind of crazy, right? Who, who had, who had some, some type of signs. labral tears, but, he but didn't just... didn't have symptoms at the time. There was only one that actually manifested any signs of hip symptoms yeah. like, over the next four-year period wow. of yeah. playing competitive yeah. hockey. So it's like, uh, you know, are they part of degenerative changes? I don't know. Uh, probably. But is that the right word to use like you asked earlier? Yeah. That's, a, that's a really excellent question. Or, or is it... Is it worth, I think more importantly, is it worth changing your lifestyle around? Meaning like, mm. uh, so there's this very serious question that, uh, at least in, in the States, right? Like there are parents who are thinking about their kids playing football. Like yeah, what yeah. Like what, football. what? will yeah. that mean for like the, the brain with uh, the latest, you know, not latest, it's been going on for quite a number, what we know now about concussions, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe some consideration there, but like, are you going to not teach your daughter softball or your son baseball because there's a 80% chance that they could have a road? No, see, you're going to like probably not do that. You're going to live your life yeah. because you don't want it to cripple you. But like, I think that's what sometimes happens with the, the findings of these imaging. It can be used to just totally have people yeah. stall I- out. I think ultimately function um, is your guide. So if you if you have symptoms that affect you living your life the way that you want to yeah. live it, then you you need to consider that. Um, but if you you know if there's just if there's a picture that, that shows something that's not ideal, but you function very very well, um, go for it. Carry on. You know, yeah. Continue that. That's a good way way to be. Awesome. And then if you need to change later then you just have to make that decision when you have that information, I guess. But other people might have a different opinion on that. You know, other people might say, these are early degenerative signs. If you stop what you love doing right now, you <laughs> might still be, uh, you know, around when you're 80 or something like that. You might live two more years at the very yeah, end of your but, life. but, you know, I mean, and, and you're talking to me. I appreciate longevity so much. Like mm-hmm. my, my goals are to be, uh, lifting when I'm an old man. Yeah, yeah. Um, This is why John's been invited on the podcast, you guys. We share a lot in common. But, you know, I think... Yeah, cool. Well, uh, John, thanks so much for your time. Again, just uh, I'm sure we're going to have some follow-ups. There's just such good stuff to talk about. Um, and, and for you all listening, like John... Uh, lifts and, and again is, is knowledgeable and, and things uh, training related and also in just you know training sciences too. Uh, we at a future date may talk about just the importance of strength training what that can mean for someone's health. That's uh, so important. So important. Right. So uh, I'm sure this is not the last time you'll hear from him. But uh, John, thanks so much for your time and this was uh, I think this was great. Yeah, thank you for having. Yeah, uh, usually when we, uh, and this is letting people in on a secret, actually. For every podcast you listen to, when a guest is not there in person and they're being interviewed, when they say goodbye, you awkwardly have to then talk to them, talk to them after because you've just hung up the call. So when you're listening to podcasts, just know that there is that moment when you, you sign guys, up. But where, where? You guys ever listen to the Kabuki Strength Chat? You know, his, you know, yeah, 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 Christoph. They mess that up all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're always like, you still on, man? Oh, oh you hear so much for doing it again. Oh, oh so, you hear on the podcast? Okay. That's, yeah, that's fine. All right. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, guys. We'll have a, a great day, and thanks for tuning in as always.